Thank you for that mild applause. Thank you. How's everybody doing this morning? Oh, man. We're celebrating the Christmas season this morning. This is our Christmas service. I'm so happy to have all of our, our whole church family here. Thank you, sir. Uh, kids included, so happy to be with you this morning. Like my wife said, and that is my lovely wife, my name is Gino Allison. I'm one of the pastors here. And I just want to welcome you all to the South Suburban Vineyard Church this morning as we celebrate this fantastic Christmas season. Especially welcome also to anybody who's visiting with us for the very first time. Um, we're so glad to have you here. Also, welcome to anybody who's listening to us through our podcast or through our website. You're also welcome to come and worship with us here on Sunday mornings. Briefly before I begin, I just want to mention that each and every January 1st, uh, this church starts a, a fast, uh, usually a 30-day fast. And um, again, we don't tell people what to fast. We don't make you fast. We're not peeking through your windows to make sure you know, you're not eating or you're not watching TV or whatever. At least I don't. Um, but we do, uh, we found this great power in just a coordinated effort to deny ourselves some things and corporately seek the Lord together. So we'll be uh, engaging in that coming up on the 1st of January. Next week, I, I wish that everybody would make it uh, a huge priority to be here next week because we're going to talk about that fast. We're going to talk about a 30-day challenge that we're going to issue along with that fast. And we're just also just going to catch some vision for the, for the next year. So um, hopefully everybody can show up next week so we can really talk about that and go into this new year just as a church, and we'll just wait and see what God wants to do. So 30-day fast coming up, more information in your bulletin. If you have questions about that, if you you know, you know just want to ask and get some clarity on that, just come and talk to, uh, talk, come and talk to me or my wife, and we'll be glad to share that information with you. Amen? Well, when I was a kid, not too long ago, um, I was really into things like superheroes and action movies and things like that. You know, I was really into Superman. Anybody like Superman? Was anybody into Superman? I was really into Superman. I was just sort of captivated by it. I wasn't into like comic books or anything like that, but I would sort of watch these Superman movies and Superman cartoons and I would just just marvel at that. I was also into uh, characters like Batman and Robin and I often find something to sort of dress myself up to look like, you know, Superman. I'd have my long johns on with my tidy whities on over it. You know, I'd get a towel and I'd tuck it into my shirt and just, I would just be pretending to be these characters and I had great fun. I grew up in a house with all women outside of my dad, so I was playing alone most of the time. But nonetheless, I was just really stoked about these characters and I often remember uh, asking myself, man, what if this was real? I, I was sort of restrained by a sense of reality. I knew that this was a fictional character. I knew that nobody could fly yet. And I knew that all these cool things that these superheroes uh, were doing, and even the stuff that I was pretending to do in my own uh, privacy, in my own room, was fake, and it was just sort of fantasy. But I, I, just, I, I just often would think, what if, this were, what if this were true? What if this were real? What if this sensational story was actually true. I also liked watching like ninja movies. I told you before, all of my friends, you know, we wanted, we didn't want to be astronauts or police officers. We wanted to be ninjas, you know. So we were very into the ninja movies, and we knew that these flips that would last for 60 seconds, we knew that stuff wasn't true, right? But we'd ponder in our hearts and in our minds, what if this were real? This would be really, really exciting. This would be really, really cool if this stuff is real. But as I grew up also listening to the Christmas story 
and, and reading the gospel narrative and just reading the story of God's interaction with humanity through the pages of Scripture. One of the things that struck me most is that this sensational story, with all of this unbelievable stuff, with all of this sensational stuff, I'm struck by the reality, I'm struck by the authenticity, I'm struck by the fact that this stuff is actually real. I'm struck by the fact that this stuff actually happened. Now, we live in a world where not everybody believes that. We live in a world where the true believers, the people who actually believe this and live it out with their lives, would be in the vast minority. But we, those of us who've been enlightened, those of us who take the Lord at his word, those of us that really take in the scriptures, we take hope, we take joy in the fact that this stuff actually happened. This stuff is really, really real. I have the privilege of not just continuing but concluding our Christmas series that we've simply been calling Advent. And Advent is a season observed in Christian churches all around the world. It's a time of expectant waiting and preparation for the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ at Christmas time. Advent simply means the arrival and we're celebrating, we're waiting for, we're anticipating the arrival and for us the celebration of the Savior's return. And in Advent, as we've said for the last three weeks, we thank God for Christ's first coming, we prepare for his second coming, and we celebrate his presence among us today, knowing that we're not alone, that God is not far from us, that he's very acquainted with our joys, with our pain, with the sorrows of life, as we talked about last week. But what takes center stage, at least what should take center stage at this time of year, is not the presents that are under the tree. Now, hopefully you have presents under the tree. It's not the big meal that you're going to consume on Christmas morning. It's not all the relationships and the family members that will come to your house or you will travel to them. All those things are fantastic. I think that's a wonderful way to celebrate the holiday. But what should take center stage is Jesus and the hope that he brings. Jesus and the hope that he brings because it gives us reason to live. It gives us a reason to go on in this life. And because God is the giver of that hope and because Jesus is the bringer of that hope, we celebrate Jesus. We make much of him. And in in the words of the scriptures, we magnify him with everything that we have. I've called this message simply, what do you magnify? What do you magnify? Because like I said just seconds earlier, because we celebrate Jesus at this holiday season, our job is to, is to magnify him, is to, is to lift him up. At least that should be what we're up to. But here's the reality. We are all magnifying something. And by magnify, I mean making much of, zooming in, focusing, enlarging, making a big deal out of. We all magnify something. Amen? And the people that know you, the people who deal with you on a regular basis, the people who share your space, as it, you know, whether it's work, school, or home, pretty much know what you make a big deal of. And with the advent of things, of, things like Facebook and Twitter and all of these other social media sites, it's not really that difficult to tell what any given person magnifies or makes much of. Some people make much of their spouse or their significant other. Some people make much of their kids. Some people make much of their vocation or their house or this hobby or that hobby. And there's nothing, nothing wrong with that in its place. But let me tell you, in the life of a Christian, 
and the life of those who truly believe that Jesus is who he says he is and that the scriptures tell us true things, we realize that our job is to magnify the Lord. Our job is to magnify the Lord. And I know we have little ones in here today, and I just want to speak to you as well. You, you know, society will tell you, and some churches will tell you, you got your whole life ahead of you. You can get real serious about the Lord, you know, when you get older. When you, you know, when you get older, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, I don't care if you're two or 200, your job is to magnify and to make much of Jesus. And today I want to look real quickly at a passage out of Luke chapter 1. And I just wanted to sort of flesh some things out this morning. If you have Bibles with you, if you just look at Luke chapter 1, if you could turn there. There's Bibles on the edge of the ro- edges of the rows. You're more than welcome to take one of those with you if you like, if you don't have a Bible. We'll also be projecting these on the screens. Let me pray for us before I begin. Lord, I thank you so much for this holiday season. I thank you for all of these wonderful families that have gathered here to worship you. I thank you for the way this holiday season, Lord, puts, puts things into clear focus. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us today. I pray that you would illuminate the scriptures, Lord. I pray that you would move the preacher out of the way so that your truth and your light may shine through. Lord, may we make much of you today as we celebrate your coming, as we celebrate your birth. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're looking at a little chunk of the Christmas story this this morning. In Luke chapter 1, if you're familiar with Luke, he opens with the birth of, of John the Baptist being foretold. And John is the person who's going to prepare the way for Jesus. So um, the angel of the Lord visits Zachariah and Elizabeth, this is John's parents, and tells them that even though they're barren, and even though they're old, they're going to conceive a child. And of course, this is great news for them. Luke continues with the with the, Jesus' birth being foretold. The angel appears to Mary and says, Listen, you're highly favored of the Lord, and even though you're a virgin, the Holy Spirit's going to overtake you. You're going to conceive a child, not just any child, but that child is going to be the son of the living God. He's going to be the savior of the world. Luke continues to talk about how Mary takes a trip to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And they're so, I mean, if you, if you read the story, you can just imagine these two women just really happy and really just excited about the fact that they're both about to have, uh, have a baby. They're both very excited about the fact that Mary is literally carrying the son of the living God, the child that the prophets had spoke of. So we picked this uh, story up. In Luke chapter 46, Mary sort of sings this song, or she writes this song about her, um, how she feels about this whole situation. Luke chapter 1, we'll start at verse 46. Mary responded, oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. So Mary says, oh, how my soul praises the Lord, or another version says, how my soul magnifies the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he took notice of this lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty one. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent rich people away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful, for he has made his promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his children forever. Now, this is Mary's song. 
And when we read this story, you know, through the backdrop of what's just happened in Mary's life, the news that she's been given, the hope that that gives to her, even though she's giving birth to this child under less than ideal circumstances, we clearly see that she's very excited about the situation. She's very excited that she's been chosen by God to do this. And as I look at this small song that Mary sings, one of the things that pops out is that it's not difficult to identify the theme of this song. It's not difficult to get at what she's actually talking about. It's not difficult to get at the subject or the focus of this song that she sings. Have you ever been, have you ever heard a song? And as you listen to the song, and especially as you finished listening to the song, you thought, what on earth was that about? Seems like increasingly so, the music that's being put out, you know, it might have a nice beat and you might find yourself getting into it, but somebody says, wait, what was he talking about? You're like, I don't, I don't know. I was, I was listening to the beat. I was listening to the music. Or you read a story or you read a poem or you read some article or piece of literature and you go, what on earth was that about? Well, that can't particularly be said about this particular song that Mary writes. We know who she's talking about. We know who she's talking about. We know the focal point. We know the theme. We know the message. We know who's being exalted. We know who's being magnified here. And two things immediately stand out, and I want to focus on those two things this morning before I bring it really down to some very practical life steps as we work through this passage. The first thing that stands out to me is that Mary commits her soul to worship. She commits her soul to worship. This morning we're talking about magnifying the Lord, asking yourself, what do you magnify? I mentioned that our job is to magnify the Lord. And as we look at this song this morning, one of the things that pops out in the opening lines is that Mary first commits her soul to worship. Verse 46 says, Mary responded, oh, how my soul praises or magnifies the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord and how my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And I just want to pull out real quickly those two words, soul and spirit. Soul, the moral or emotional nature or your sense of identity. Spirit, the seat of your emotions and your character. Mary didn't simply say, I'll throw my hands in the air and sing a simple song of praise. I will dance and lift my voice, and on the outside, I will worship and sing praises to my Lord so that everybody can know that I love the Lord. No, Mary begins by saying, my very soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. My soul worships. And sometimes, even the preacher misunderstands what true worship is. When I think worship, we play in the band every day. We have to coordinate these songs. I think, oh, let's get ready for worship. I'm going to put on some worship music. But worship is a lifestyle. Worship is how you live. Worship is how you walk, how you talk, how you relate. What you magnify, what you lift up, what you make much of. And Mary tells us that her soul magnifies, praises the Lord. Her spirit rejoices and God, her Savior. Listen, I don't care how high you lift your hands and how high you lift your voice and all the Bible passages that you tweet and all of the inspirational, viral little pictures that you post and like and retweet and repost on Facebook. None of that matters if your soul and your spirit, the core of who you are, doesn't worship the Lord. 
Now this goes again, for whether you're two or whether you're 200. The core of you worships the Lord, and this is what Mary's story is. Not what you do on the outside. Not what you do on the outside. It's who you are. And I used to look at people's, how they're worshiping, and say, man, that person must be really sold out. Oh, look how big that Bible is. That person must be really, they must really be close to the Lord. Oh, look at the tears flow as the songs play. Boy, they must be really close and near to the heart of God. Then I spend a little time with them. And I think, boy, was I wrong. Boy, was I wrong. But I spend time with people who I know that their soul, their soul worships the Lord. The very seat of their emotions, the very core of who they are worships the Lord. They would dare intentionally do something that, that, that draws attention to themselves or, or embarrasses the Lord. When somebody's soul is connected, listen, that's what this is really talking about. And Mary says, my soul, who I am, worships the Lord. And let me tell you, when who you are worships the Lord... Your whole life will magnify him. Now, I'm not talking about perfection here. I'm not talking about, you know, you never miss it. I'm not talking about you don't have a bad day or you have a lapse in judgment or this, that, and the other. I'm talking about your home base, where you camp out, who you are at work, at play, at school, who you are when the lights are low and the, the, the rooms are locked, who you are when you're around those folks that don't go to your church. That's who you are. That's how we can tell if your soul magnifies the Lord. If your soul magnifies the Lord. That's the first thing I see. The second thing I see is that Mary understands who God is. She understands who God is. Again, when I read this passage, when we read this passage, we don't have to figure out what Mary is getting at. We don't have to figure out who she's talking about or if she really likes this, this God that she's talking about. It's very clear. But when I read verse 48, it says this, For he took notice of this lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. Now these two verses tell me a whole lot. One, she's talking about herself. And two, she's talking about God, the mighty God. He's holy. He has done great things for me. And when I look at this passage, especially these two verses, it shows me something that is very powerful to me. That's very life-changing to me. That's very course-altering for me. And that is this. When we truly understand who God is, we generally have a good handle or understanding on who we are. We truly have a good handle, a good understanding of who God is that helps us to have a good handle on who we are. I hear people talking all the time, you know, I just got to find myself. I just got to figure out who I am, who I, what really makes me tick, who God made to me, me to be. I just need to sort of sequester myself, you know, go on a silent retreat and just figure me out. I got to do some soul searching. I got to dig deep and figure out who I really am. You know, that's probably necessary. Um, it's probably worthwhile to spend some time doing that. But it's a very bad first step. It's a very bad first step. Because I'm convinced, not just because I read it somewhere, because I'm living this out, that the closer I get to the Lord, the more work I put into figuring him out, understanding who he is, the easier it becomes for me to figure out who I am. I'll say that again. The closer that I get to the Lord, the closer I get to the Lord, 
The more I understand him, the more I know him, the more I understand his ways, the more I take in his teachings, the more I try to model his character, the easier it becomes to figure out who I am and what my purpose in life is and what I should be doing and what I should be saying and where I should be going. And we see Mary has a good handle on who she is, for he took notice of a lowly servant girl. He took notice of a lowly servant girl. Now, to some of you, that sounds like Mary's struggling with low self-esteem, right? Might seem that she perhaps needs to sort of elevate her understanding of herself. But I think that Mary is doing something that's very powerful here. First thing I see Mary doing is understanding who God is. She's very pleased with who God is. She's very excited at the fact that God has chosen her to do this fantastic, to, to, to bring this child forth. It's unthinkable. It's unthinkable. But Mary lets us know that she understands that she's special because God chose her and God didn't choose her because she was special. It's a difference. I'll say it again. Mary understands that because God chose her, she's special. And that God didn't choose her because she was special. So for some of us pastors and leaders who've been chosen to lead congregations and to do things in the kingdom, sometimes we feel like, Lord, you've made a real good choice. You know, I was wondering when you were going to, you know, call me. I was wondering when you were going to Google me and see how many pages I go into the thing. I wonder how long it was going to take you, Lord, to see that, you know, I'm, 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 I'm a big deal. And oh, how the Lord humbles us. When we think that. I didn't say when we say that because we don't often say that, but some of us feel that way. But no, I'm reminded, especially when I look at this, listen, I'm special because the Lord chose me. And guess what? He chose all of you too, which makes you special as well. You have a different function. You're not pastor, you're not, you know, but you're special as well. There's level ground there. But she understands that God is mighty, he's holy, he's done and doing great things. And because she understands who God is, it has a way of sort of balancing and neutralizing her sort of self-esteem and neutralizing her opinion of herself. So when we consider how good God is, it humbles us, it lowers us. We say, whoa, I may be great compared to this guy. But when I compare myself who I'm to, to who I'm supposed to compare myself to, boy, I got a long way to go, right? But when I consider the greatness of the Lord, when I know who God is, and I remind myself of that over and over, it humbles me, it lowers me. But guess what? When I consider the fact that God, the creator of the universe, is mindful of me, that thinks about me, that deals with me, even when it hurts, the fact that the God of the universe cares about me, loves me, would speak to me, would think enough of my future to correct me, to, to chastise me, to order my steps. But I consider the fact that God who created it all, who's got billions of people and billions of other elements and things to think of, when I consider the fact that that God it's concerned with how my day is going. Concerned with the trajectory of my life. Concerned with how I raise my children. Concerned with how I, how, how I relate to my wife. Concerned with how I pastor this church. I'm like, wow, that, that, that brings me up a little bit. 
That brings me up. That brings me up. This is why in the life of a Christian we attack pride. We attack pride. This is also why I equally attack low self-esteem. Because to be prophecies, you think too much of yourself. You think more highly of yourself than you ought to. Low self-esteem says, well, you think too lowly of yourself. And I say today that if you have a great picture, if you have a perfect picture, if you have a healthy understanding of who God is, then you'll come out of the basement. Also, if you have a healthy understanding of who God is, you know, you'll come down out of the attic as well. And it's on that level ground that we all stand on beneath the cross of Christ that we're in prime position to be used by him. We're in prime position to be who God called us to be, to do what he calls us to to, to do. And we talk about that just about every single week, what we're called to do, who we're called to be. We're called to love God and love people. I never get tired of that. You say, I'm a little tired of it. But I'll stop saying it. I'll stop saying it when we start doing it. To love God and to love people, that's every moment of every day, every action, every word, every deed. We're honoring God. And we're running in terror from any and everything that runs counter to that. And coupled with that responsibility, if we're doing that right, then the secondary part of that great commandment isn't as hard. I didn't say it's not hard because it's hard to love people. Some people in this room, it's hard to love them. Some people that you drove here with, it's hard to love them. Okay? But it's a little easier to love people when you're loving God. When you've wrapped your life around his stuff. When you've come out of the basement. Because there's something down in that basement that's really toxic. Even though you think lowly of yourself, there's a consumption. There's a, you're consumed with who you are. You're consumed with how you look. You're consumed with how low you are, and you're unavailable for God and anybody else. Something about being in that attic that just, you know, you're consumed with yourself. You're consumed with how you look. You're consumed with what you're doing. You're consumed with how you come off. And guess what? You're also unavailable for who God is. When we, when we see God for who he is, we see him for who he truly is, who he truly is. Boy, God can do so much with us. And not only that, our entire lives, with few exceptions, will point to him, will make much of him, will enlarge him all the days of our lives. And this is where Mary sits. She's worshiping God with the essence, the true essence of who she is. She knows who God is, and therefore she knows who she is, and her soul, her life, magnifies the Lord, which is evident in her song. So you say, preacher, what about us today? How does this apply to us? I think the beginning of a new year, and this sort of holiday season, ought to be some of the most on-fire times in the life of a Christian. Sadly, it's not, because many of us check out, you know. Many of us check out. We're out there partying with people who don't really know what stuff is all about. Right? But for the life of a Christian, man, this should be some of the most on fire times in our whole life. Why? It's because this is, we're up close and personal. The world is celebrating. The vast majority of them really believe this stuff, but it's a good time to celebrate. 
But the world is celebrating. The world is singing. Silent night. The world is singing. Oh, come. Oh, come, Emmanuel. The whole world is singing all of these deep and theological Christmas carols. They know nothing about But the world is joining with us to celebrate the birth of the Savior. It's put on center stage for about a whole month. And as we come face to face with this, we say, man, I forgot that this was what we're about. I forgot that this is a big deal. That a Savior was born and that he came to earth and that he, you know, brought with him the hope of heaven. People would be healed and set free. The power of death and hell will be broken. This is a big deal. Man, let me, let me step it up. Let me get excited. Let me get on fire again. This is why, you know, the new year and this season, and in the life of a Christian, it ought to be... It ought to be. It ought to be just on fire. We ought to be contagious. We ought to be burning because it puts Jesus at center stage, at the forefront of our thinking. And I think it's our job to find creative ways to maintain this excitement, to maintain this focus throughout every day, every minute of the year. And I want to give you just this morning um, three powerful ways that I think we can live this out. I want to bring this on a very low shelf and give you three practical ways. Because I said that we're all magnifying something. Some of us are magnifying the wrong things, but I reminded us that our job is to magnify the Lord. And I just want to give you three practical ways to do that. The first way is in our words. With and in our words. What you say? What you say? The psalmist says in Psalm 19, verse 14, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I'm struck by the fact that words are coupled with the meditations of my heart. I'm struck that the scriptures pair those together. And this isn't the only place in scripture where the words of our mouths are coupled or tethered to the condition of the heart. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. May the things that I say, and in this age of tech that we live in, the things that I type, the things that, the words that come from me, may they be pleasing in your sight. And the only thing that God finds pleasing to him are things that glorify him, things that point to him, things that don't embarrass him as we follow him. May the words of my mouth, or the things I say, And the things I ponder in my heart, the essence of me, be pleasing in your sight. What do you say? How do you talk? How do you talk? What do people read when they, you know, stumble upon your blog or your Facebook page or your Twitter feed? What do they read? What are they? What are the people that you live with and the people that you work with? Do do your words? Do they magnify the Lord? Do they magnify the Lord? My mama used to say to me all the time, she said, boy, watch your mouth. And sometimes I'd get far away and be like, I can't even, can't even see my mouth. What do you mean watch <laughs> Looking over my shoulder, making sure she's a safe instrument. But she said, watch your mouth. And what my mom means was, you better be careful what you say. Better be careful what you say. And I mean that today. But for investigative purposes, let me give that a different meaning today. 
Watch what you've said. Oh, in other words, you know, Facebook lets you go back and read what you've written. Twitter lets you go back and read. You can go back and read the text that you've shot off. Or you can survey the people around you and say, yeah, how do I talk? What do I, what do I say? Do, do they magnify the Lord? Do the things that you say magnify when you read in black and white what you've written? When the audio tapes of what you've said and the heat of moments, when your anger was white hot, do they magnify the Lord? I can't tell you how many preachers are on Twitter and so many Christians are on Twitter just saying some of the most hateful, condemning things. And if I was this type of person, I would say, well, when's the last time you, you just told the world through this medium how much God loves them? Oh, God's going to rain down judgment. Oh, I knew this person. And this, that. Say, so, listen, man, what, is there anywhere, anywhere in your sermonizing on this medium that you're going to talk about how God loves people? And, you know, I had a great day with the Lord today. Oh, God is so wonderful today. What are you saying? Because all the things that are veiled in this sort of super spiritual, ultra condemning stuff, that's not, that's not magnifying the Lord. You think the Lord is scrolling in your Twitter feed and going, yeah, this, this really makes me look good. Really makes me look great. People are going to be really signing up for this now. What about what you say to the people around you? What about how you speak to your kids? What about how you speak to your husband? What about how you speak to your coworkers? The words of your mouth. I'm not talking about just going around and walking through the quarters of work just reading scriptures off. You know, and taking a post-it note and just say, this is for you today. You might, you might be looking for work. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when people read what you've written and they hear what you say, can they say that person is walking with the Lord? And even though people may not have words to say that, they can say, man, it's something different. Have you ever heard somebody say this about you? Or somebody who's a, a sincere follower? There's something different about that guy. There's just something different about that person. People hear what you say and they read what you've wor- wrote. When they take in your words, does it magnify the Lord? Does it make much of him? And some of you, you think about something that you said today. On the way over here, something you tweeted out, or something you, you Facebook, and you said, Man, that didn't magnify the Lord at all. Let me lay something heavy on you. God expects that everything you say to magnify Him. Everything you say should magnify Him. That doesn't mean everything you say should be nice, because sometimes you just got to tell somebody about themselves. Sometimes you got to talk about some unpleasant things. But the way you do it, should be such that if the Lord were watching, and he is, he says, you know, that was a great way to handle that. That really, you really handled that the way I would handle it. Our words, there's so much power in our words. Other practical way is our deeds. Our deeds. And if you think your words are tied to your heart, or you think your, your words are tied to the condition of your soul and your soul's proximity to the Savior... You better believe the things that you do are. Your deeds. And we don't want to be ultra-concerned and ultra-consumed with doing, you know, the right things. Because I think if we are tethered to the Savior like we're supposed to, if we really understand who God is, if we really drink and take large gulps of who God is, listen, we don't have to be policing our behaviors every time, every second of the day. Should I do that? 
But as my mom said, watch your mouth. I said, watch your deeds. What are you doing? Some of us are just mixed up in some stuff that is just, well, it's just shameful for a Christian. Some of us, if we were just to pop your deeds on the screens, you'd probably run for the door. And that goes for all of us. Well, it says, are your ways, are your deeds, are your actions toward the people around you, in the world around you, do they magnify me? Do people say, man, there's something about that guy. Everybody else passed that guy by, but that one guy stopped. I wonder what's his deal. I wonder what's his deal. And your wife knows that she's offended you, and she knows that she deserves to be shunned, or she deserves to be just talked down to, or that it would be the natural sort of fleshly course of action, and yet you respond in love, and yet you deal with her according to the wisdom and the ways of the Lord. She says, man, this is some man that I married. And your kids know they've got it coming, and yet your, your deeds, your actions toward them, they, they, they say something's different. They say something's been transformed in your heart. I say, consider your deeds, consider your ways, consider your actions. So we talked about words, we've talked about deeds, now we talk about disposition. Words, deeds, and disposition, you hear me talk about these three all the time because they're very essence, the outward show of who you are on the inside. The outward show of who you are on the inside. And do your words magnify the Lord? Do your words make much of the Lord? Do your deeds make much of the Lord? Does your general disposition make much of the Lord? Disposition is simply divine as a person's inherent qualities of mind and character. The inner you. Dare I say the real you. Here we go, talking about soul and spirit again. The inner man. The real you. Listen, we can control the behaviors. We can control our words. You see the pastor say, okay, let me say this thing. Or let me do this thing. Well, we're going to throw a party. Was the pastor going to be there? Okay, well, let's do it this way. You can control your words. You can control your speech. You can control your deeds, you know, for the most part. But I'm talking about the core of who you are, your disposition, who you really are, especially when nobody's looking but God. You say, how do I fix my disposition? I can sort of have a handle on my words, kind of. I can have a handle on my deeds. How do I fix my disposition? And I always go back to Romans 12, 1. And so, dear brothers, Paul says... I plead with you, I beg of you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be living sacrifices, holy, I'm excuse, living and holy sacrifices, the kind he will find acceptable. Paul continues to say that the way we do that is we allow God to change the way we think. And it's just an interesting way of saying change the core of you, your essence, your disposition. Which affects your words, which affects your deeds, which affects how you live your life. I mean, the core of you, as Mary said in the opening lines of this passage, magnify the Lord. May my soul and my spirit be thoroughly converted, thoroughly converted, thoroughly connected to Jesus, such that my natural actions, my natural leanings, my politics, everything I say and do, everything I say and do, it's uncontrollably, uncontrollably 
magnifying the Lord. Magnifying the Lord. Let me tell you something. When you get your disposition in check, when you get your soul in check, it's just a natural way that we live life that's pleasing to the Lord. There's a natural way that we live life that's pleasing to the Lord. I was talking to a guy the other day. I said, listen, man, the only thing harder than being a true Christian is being a halfway one. Because you got a lot of acting to do. You got a lot of stuff to think about. Okay, where am I? Okay, my church friends here. Okay, I gotta say this. Okay, where am I? Okay, this is safe. I can be I can be me here. Hardest thing, the hardest only thing harder than being a true Christian is being a fake one. It's a lot of acting, a lot of thinking involved. But listen, if you allow God to thoroughly convert the innermost part of who you are, listen, it's a wonderful life. It's not an easy life, but it's a wonderful life that God blesses. Why? Because we're doing what we put on this earth to do, and that is magnify, magnify the Lord. And some of you, as I talk today, you say, man, um, you know, as you pose that question, what do you magnify? If you're honest with yourself, you say, man, I'm magnifying a whole lot of things, and, you know, none of them is the Lord in a deep and meaningful sense. Some of you, if you're honest, I'm saying, what's that number one thing on the list? What are you magnifying right now? And some of you are newly in relationships, and you say, listen, I'm magnifying my significant other. I, I know I am. I know I am. Some of you would say, I, I'm, I'm, I'm magnifying my job. I'm, I'm magnifying this. I'm magnifying that. Some of you are, are sort of addicted to the drama of life, the chaos of life through brokenness and things like that. So you just magnify the, the issues and the drama of life, circumstances, chaos. That, that's, what, that's what you naturally magnify because somehow that's therapeutic for you. Some of us magnify church. And I didn't say God. I say we magnify church. We make much of church. This becomes our life. This becomes our focus. And my question is, how's that going for you? How's, how's that working out? You find deep and abiding joy and peace as you make much of those things. You find a connection with the Savior that steadies you through the ups and downs of life. Is that, is that how that works? My guess is that you've not found that to work well for you. Come here today not with condemnation, not to point a finger, but I come to say that our goal in life, as, as, as outlined by the Creator, is to magnify the Lord. Words, our deeds, our dispositions, every sickness, and that, that includes every single thing that we do, say, and think. This goes for the little ones, this goes for the old ones. And everything in between, what do you magnify? Worship team can come up. Listen, when we put on center stage this holiday season, and hopefully every single day of our existence as a Christian church, that Jesus is the reason for this season. That Jesus is the reason why we do everything that we do. And our goal is to magnify him. And what we've chosen to do today and for the rest of our life is lift high the Savior. And what we're about to participate in now is just an opportunity for us to worship God corporately as a church. And we've invited the angelic voices of our children's choir to participate in that this morning.
And what we want to do is make a conscious effort this morning to worship the Lord. And many of these songs, everybody knows, and even if you don't know them, they'll be projected on the screen. So I want, to, I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to make much of the Savior as we sing these songs today. To lay down your life for him and just say, you know what, for, for, for the rest of my life, from this day forward, Lord, I'm going to spend my time worshiping you. I'm going to spend my time making much of you. We realize what we're actually in the face of right now in this Christmas season. We know that Jesus is what it's all about. And our goal is to make much of him. And we'll do that as we sing and as we worship. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for this church. I thank you so much, Lord, for this opportunity that you've given us to worship you, to make much of you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that even sometimes, though it hurts, Lord, you, you, you constantly put a mirror in front of us, the mirror of God's word to show us who we really are. And Lord, I just pray that those of us who are struggling with magnifying and making much of other things, neglecting you, losing sight, losing focus of what we're really on this earth to do, Lord, I pray that this season would bring it into clear focus. I pray that you would transform us, Lord, as we submit our life to you, as we let you transform the very essence, the very core of who we are. May we make much of you in every situation. May we make much of you in every circumstance. May we make much of you, Lord, whether we're up or down. May we magnify the Lord. Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name.